At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. It is February 9th, 2024, and my name is Luke Guerrero, and I will be standing in for Justin Klein today, who I think we can all agree deserves a day off every once in a while. Now, this will be my first time hosting this show solo, so it'll definitely be a journey, but it isn't the most important journey over the next hour. Because my objective today is the same as our objective every day, and that is to help you become a better and more informed investor. To that end, I have the usual mix of educational and actionable material, and we'll get to that a little later on. But more importantly, I'm here for you and here with you. You drive the conversation. You decide where this journey goes. Your questions and comments are always an important part of this show. Now, we'll talk about today's market performance and run down the show topics. But before we do that, let's head to our first caller question that came in earlier to 888-99-CHART. Hi, guys. Great show. I uh, was calling about Intel. I uh, just wanted to know what you guys think, if it's worth holding on to or should I sell it? I hope Steve gets better. Let me know what you think. Well, thank you for the kind words for Steve. I'll certainly pass those along. Now, Intel, is, as most investors would know, uh, is a pretty large company that engages in design, manufacture, and sale of computer products. Now, historically, their largest business segment has been personal computing, which tends to be a little cyclical. And over the past, I would say, year or so, uh, they, they started a plan to cut costs by as much as $10 billion, I believe, by 2025. And certainly over the past year, their bottom line and their income statement shows that. But for me personally, Intel has quite a bit of debt. It's got $50, $50 billion worth of debt. It, like I said, has made some pretty significant improvements on its cost structure, but there's still a long way to go. And for a company that's trading at a multiple of, let's see, their next 12 months price to earnings is around 30, I just don't see it at this price. Now, I wouldn't say Intel's a sell right here. I certainly wouldn't add any more to your position. But if it were me, I would personally hold on. And if it, if it drops too low past this point, I would trim a little bit. Thanks for the call. Now, we've got a lot of ground to cover in the next 45 minutes or so. And here's a little bit of what I have planned, time permitting. Our main focus point concerns this topic, considering the best types of stocks to buy in today's fully valued market. A strong case can be made that value stocks remain the most undervalued. Consider your allocation based on your risk profile between equities and fixed income. Also, should we have enough time, we're going to talk a little bit about Dividend investing. Dividend investing has historically been something that uh, has been part of a lot of investors' portfolios, but over the past couple decades, you may be surprised to hear how it's performed. Also, the economy. 
some, including myself, consider to be a little confusingly strong. So we'll talk about the three possible drivers of that strength. And if we have time later on, we'll get into a little bit about Amazon and a lawsuit that may affect not only that company, but broad tech as well. Also, we have some caller voice bank questions ready to play, including one on Meta Platforms, M-E-T-A, and Adobe Inc., A-D-B-E. And we'll share a little brief highlights from the newest KPP Premium Newsletter. Now let's talk about market performance today. U.S. equities finished mostly higher in Friday trading, with the S&P ending above the 5,000 level for the first time ever. Small caps had a good session, with major indices notching weekly gains, and treasuries were generally a little weaker across the curve, with yields notably higher on the week, as the market continued to digest the Fed's comments and the possibility of an elongated pause. Overall, I would say there was generally no real shift in the key market narratives this week. The Fed still pushed back, as it has been, against the timing and aggressiveness of market rate cut expectations, and stressed that investors need to be patient, perhaps a little more patient than they have been. More of the theme of resilience within the economy was present. One thing that happened today is the Atlanta Fed GDP now, which estimates future GDP growth, upped its estimate from 3%, which it had late last month, to 3.4% for the annualized Q1 GDP figure. And as we move deeper into earnings, takeaways are still mixed. There were beats, there were some misses from earlier in the year, but generally 2024 estimates have been pretty stable. Also, CPI revisions, but not any above or below what market expectations would be. Now, looking ahead to next week, there's some important dates. Retail sales on Thursday, PPI on Friday, probably the big one, CPI on Tuesday, all of which may realign the market's perspective on the timing of cuts. Now, that was the market today, and we're going to go to a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your questions on the Invest Talk voice bank. If you're listening via our live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, call now at 888-99-CHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. To get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay paying a fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. EBITDA growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. I will. Hey, hi, Steve. I'm 24-7, rain or shine, InvestTalk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. Invest Talk is here to help. And when you download the free Invest Talk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open 888 chart. Let's go to Steve in the Bay Area who has a question about Super Bowl ads. Hey guys, how you doing today? Doing very well. How about yourself? 
Uh, good. My question is, do companies that run ads on the Super Bowl do well in the stock market the next year? Do their earnings increase? Is there any correlation? And you know, that's an interesting question. I think that would probably be a little difficult to answer, just given that they're, you know, looking back historically, Super Bowl ads have been pretty thematic. I know that one of the mm -hmm. uh, largest purchasers of Super Bowl ads either last year or maybe even the year before as well was FTX, who certainly did not do well uh, the year after that. I think Super Bowl ads as an point. investing strategy are probably more indicative of companies that are willing to spend an exorbitant amount of money um, and may actually uh -huh. not be as conservative and protective of their balance sheet uh, as they should be. Um, but I don't know offhand, and I would doubt that there's any real regressive uh, outcome uh, correlating to Super Bowl ad spends and market performance in the next year. Okay, that's very interesting. I thank you. Yeah, thanks for the call. Now let's play two in a row from the Invest Talk Voice Bank. You know the number, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin Luke, it's Andrew from Atlanta. I wanted to ask a question about Meta. A lot of good news about it. Do you think it would be something that maybe I should take a position in looking forward? And if so, what's the entry price? Another thing I was talking to my sister, she was feeling real good about her holdings and I was telling her, you know, when you're feeling real good, that's probably when you need to trim. And then when you're feeling real bad about something, that's probably when you need to buy if the fundamentals are there. But, you know, I can't get her to listen to me. If you could comment on there, we'll see if she'll listen to you. Sure hope you guys have a great day. Thanks, buddy. Bye. Thank you for the call. And to your second point first, you are exactly right. Typically, when you feel really good, is when the market is elated and you should probably take some of that profit off the table. And when everybody is fearful, be greedy. Now to your first point, Meta. So everybody knows Meta. Meta is the holding company that owns Facebook. And certainly in the past, well, year to date and even the past couple weeks, uh, they've had quite the run up. They were up 20% at one point over the course of a couple days. And that was primarily related to the fact that they were announcing their first ever dividend. But taking a look at the fundamentals, Meta is at its core an advertising company. And heading into potential market stress, that could certainly be a dampening on their revenue. Generally, the good time to have bought Meta would have been before all of this news that caused the price to skyrocket. Right now, it's more in a price discovery phase. And this is something Justin and I said, I believe, a couple days ago. And that is until there is some retrenching towards those support levels closer to the 300, 350 level, I wouldn't be adding any more to my portfolio, just given some uncertainty around the business climate that drives Meta's revenues. Thanks for the call. Here comes another caller question. Jordan from San Clemente. Hey, how's it going? Doing well. How are you, Jordan? I'm doing all right. Um, so I own Corteva, uh, ticker symbol CTVA. Um, it's had a nice little run. I'm wondering if I should hold on to it or sell it. So Corteva, Inc., engages in the provision of seed and crop protection solutions, which focuses on the agricultural industry. And it looks like it certainly has, quite a, has had quite a good run relative to the S&P 500 over the past couple years. Can I ask, what's, your, what's the position you have in there relative to your overall portfolio? Uh, it's like 3%. You know, it's, it's 3%. Their, their next 12 months price to earnings is, is pretty below their five-year average. I wouldn't be in any rush to trim it. 
Um, but certainly, uh, you know, one issue is that their cash conversion cycle has kind of worsened uh, relative to the last year. So I just keep an eye on their cash flow. And, and certainly if there's any downward movements, you may want to trim. But I don't see any immediate need to trim this position right now, even though it's had quite the run. Okay. Thanks for the Sounds call. Great. Thank you. Let's go to Robert in Pleasanton. Who has a question about AMAT? You own it or are you looking to buy it? Yeah. I'm thinking about buying it. You know, I missed the beginning of the show, so I don't know if you talked about it, but uh, is today your, uh, your first time flying solo? Today is my first time flying solo. That is correct. All right. We're doing a great job, Luke. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, so I'm looking at uh, Applied Materials. I know they had a big day today. They're going to announce their earnings next week. And I'm just curious if uh, I've missed the boat on this or is there still some room for this to run? Yeah, well, there certainly could be some room for this to run. Applied Materials, Inc., it provides manufacturing equipment, services, and software to the semiconductor industry. So it's certainly done well over the past year on the AI and semiconductor theme. However, I think my general advice is the volatility around earnings one week to two weeks out on a company can move for you just as easily as it can move against you. And stock prices tend to be less correlated to past performance and more towards future expected growth. And given that we're at the end of the earnings cycle, it's possible that all of the AI-related hype from other related companies within that sector could have driven this price up as well. If it were me personally, I think this is a good company. It has not that much debt on $144 million or billion dollar market cap. I would personally wait until after earnings and see what the price reaction is after that. I think given that this is towards the end of the earnings cycle um, and we've seen how other related companies have performed, it's as likely to move against you as it is to move for you. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Now, on Fridays, we generally make time to fit in a quick rundown of key benchmark numbers. So let me hit you with that list now. The two-year Treasury yield was at 4.48% compared to two weeks back when it was at 4.35%, four weeks ago at 4.1%, and 13 weeks back at 5%. The 10-year yield was at 4.17 compared to about 3.96 a month ago. And 74 weeks ago, it was at two, that feels like so, so long ago in the treasury world. It was at 2.83%. Gold was priced at $2,025 an ounce compared to two weeks ago at 2018. And even further back, 13 weeks ago at 1,935 and 102 weeks ago at 1,806. Silver, another precious metal, was at 22.60 per ounce today. Two weeks ago, it was at 22.80 ounces, or per ounce, sorry. And 97 weeks ago, is at 23.94 per ounce. The national average for a gallon of regular gasoline is 3.16 per gallon, certainly better as we're getting into the time of the year where we're going to be traveling more. Two weeks back, it was 3.10. And 84 weeks ago, it was 4.25. I remember how painful that used to be filling up at the tank. In California, it was averaging $4.59 a gallon compared to 15 weeks ago when it was at $5.32. Now we're moving to a break. My phone lines are open at 888-99-CHART.
Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. How they get there and when they get there, that depends on many variables. The more you learn about how the market works, the better your chances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. My focus point today concerns this topic. Considering the best types of stocks to buy in today's fully valued market, a strong case can be made that value stocks remain the most undervalued. You should always, however, consider your allocation based on your risk profile between equities and fixed income. Now, before we get into potential future performance, it's important to talk about January. So data compiled by Morningstar showed that coming out of January, moving forward, you should be looking at value companies and small caps as your best bets. Overall, the the Morningstar U.S. market index rose by 1.3% in January, and it was primarily driven by some of those large core stocks, Meta, Broadcom, Procter & Gamble, that returned 10, 6, and 7% respectively. And that's even before the big announcement about Meta's dividend. Now, these companies, due to their large market cap and how they're weighted in those broad market indices as a result of it, have a significant influence on core sector performance. And when we say core performance, we mean the S&P 500. It's, it's a core fund. Now, over that time period, value stocks experienced a modest increase, about 25 basis points, or 0.25%. And surprisingly, growth stocks broadly, contrary to probably what a lot of people expected, decreased by 50 basis points, led by significant declines in large stocks like Apple and Tesla. On a market cap perspective, large cap stocks were up 2.5%, mid cap stocks up 1.2, and small caps declined by 3%. And because of this re-weighting, if you will, over the first month of the year, tech and consumer defensive tend to be some of the most overvalued sectors. So where, if we have a fully valued market, should your equity weighting be? Well, The first two that you might want to take a look at are communications and real estate, according to Morningstar, based on their fully fair valuation. They're both trading at about a 12% discount. Energy and utility, something that we've been talking about energy specifically, given where commodities are trading right now. It's no surprise that energy would be at a 9% discount. So yes, at the end of the day, small caps do remain the most undervalued part of the market. They trade at about a 19% discount to fair value. And value stocks, those that have lower prices relative to their earnings or their cash flow or their book value, are the most undervalued, trading at an 11% discount to fair value, while growth stocks tend to be a little stretched. They're at a 4% premium right now. And this is something that, that Justin and I have been saying for quite some time, and that is certainly I've been saying this, that 2024, should the rally continue, is going to be about a widening of market breadth. And what what is market breadth? If you look at the S&P 500, a good way to measure it is the equal weighted S&P 500, which although 
The market cap weighted index is at an all-time high. The equal weight has still not touched. It's high from 2021. So generally, big tech, as we've seen over the past several months, if not longer, has had a significant run-up. A lot of that has been driven by artificial intelligence. And a lot of that has been driven by cost-cutting. A lot of these firms over-hired during the pandemic. And as a result, there have been some pretty large layoffs at some pretty big companies. But moving forward, it's going to be important that the output of these companies, these tech companies that have had a large run-up, match what those forecasts have been. The, if you will, put-up-or-shut-up era of earnings in these AI companies. So if you're looking to increase your equity weighting, as you should be, you should be looking towards those small cap companies, those value companies, those energy companies, that when we come out of this economic uncertainty as rates come down, as global demand increases, you would generally expect to do well. Now, before we even go to a break, I want to remind you that on the next Invex talk, we will look into this question. Have oil prices peaked yet? One trader argues that people overly fixate on downside risks around China and the U.S. supply, ignoring potential demand upside. Yes, signs of weakness in China's economy are fueling worries about oil demand. That's Monday. But for now, I'm Luke Guerrero, and I'm ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the Internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments 
to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Let's take a quick look at your financial to-do list. At the top, make that phone call to the Invest Talk Anytime listener line, 888-99-CHART. Now let's head to Mac in Cabo San Lucas, who has a question about Magna International, Inc. Do you own it or are you looking to buy it? Hello, Lou. I own it, and uh, I was wondering if it's uh, worth holding at this point. What was your what was your entry price? Do you do you recall? Uh I don't I'm I let's see it's I'm down about 16% now. It was uh Yeah, so I was down 16%. Okay. Well, for those who don't know, uh Magna International is an auto parts company that uh fell just over 6% today after a miss uh, in in earnings and in projections, um, generally speaking, the company has a decent amount of debt, about seven billion on a sixteen billion market cap company. But their interest coverage ratio is thirteen, so they actually have plenty of cash coming in uh, to deal with those debts. Uh, their cash flow, though, it's kind of been steadily declining over the past three years, and it hasn't been very strong relative to the Russell three thousand. For well over a year now. Uh, just judging by where their revenues have gone, and it's at about a fairly valued price, I don't think there's going to be much downward movement from here. I mean, there could be at the open still related to earnings. Um, but I don't see any reason why you shouldn't hold on to it and see see where it moves um, in this in this price discovery phase. I mean, it looks like it has a little bit of a little bit of support around the 70-ish level. Yeah, 70-ish level. If it drops any further than that, I would probably try and sell it. But if not, I would. I you can certainly wait until a bounce, uh, hopefully, um, in the post earnings slump, and and maybe trim 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 a little bit over there. Okay, great. Um, I will watch it, and uh, as always, th- thanks for all you do. I appreciate the help. We appreciate you. Thanks for the call. Now, our next talking point today, or rather our first first talking point after our main focus point, is about dividend investing. Can dividend investing rise from the ashes? Now, let's dive into this topic that's been somewhat overlooked amidst the buzz of artificial intelligence, and that would be the long-favored strategy of dividend investing. Now, since the financial crisis, the great financial crisis in 2008-2009, U.S. equities with dividend yields above 5% have been returning around 450%. Sounds pretty impressive, but not when you compare it to the wider S&P Composite 1500's gain of 640%. And those companies not paying a dividend at all, in that time period, they returned 1,200%. So why is this topical now? Well, 
one big news item in the past couple of weeks, as I've mentioned today, was around Meta announcing it would start paying dividends. A modest dividend, but still more than it's ever paid. So is this perhaps signaling a shift amongst some of the largest growth names that have since refused to pay dividends? Well, historical data from Robert Schiller, an economist, shows us that dividends contributed to 80% of total returns from 1870 to 1950. Fast forward to this past decade, that figure dropped to 30%. The average dividend yield, which has been around 2% for the past 25 years, is far below its historical average of 4.3%. Now, I don't think you should be chasing dividends. It's a, it's a delicate balance. On one hand, unknowable gains are speculative and more volatile. Companies that don't pay a dividend have less consistent flows to investors. It's just a fact. On the other hand, if earnings fall, dividends can be cut. A lot of people have been caught chasing yield, like Justin says, never chase yield. And they see 11, 12, 13% dividend yield, and it doesn't stay there because the dividend's cut. In the 21st century, generally, we've had a love affair with tech and the healthcare sector, and it really hasn't been kind to these traditional dividend payers, like manufacturers, banks, utilities. The pandemic and the AI craze only accelerated that trend. Industry data, in fact, shows a net withdrawal of $21 billion from dividend funds over the past year even as broader equity funds saw additional $12 billion in inflows. So what should we do as disciplined investors? Again, should we chase dividends? No. But generally, dividends can indicate a company that has low volatility in revenues, low volatility in earnings. What you should be looking for are those stable businesses with consistent dividend growth that, oh, by the way, happen to be those value companies that Morningstar data, generally they're those value companies that Morningstar data has shown are undervalued relative to the rest of the market. So what is your takeaway here as an investor? A lot goes into the companies you should select in your portfolios. You should never choose one thing to drive why it's included in your allocation. But one important thing, especially as we've said before, the era of free money is over, isn't companies that pay dividends, but companies that pay dividends for good reason. Those stable, long-term value companies. The KPP Premium Newsletter was finished today, and it'll be distributed to subscribers tomorrow morning. But I have a preview for you today. In the market conditions section, we explained that NVIDIA and Meta have been fueling the rally, something that we even mentioned on this show, with each company's stock advancing more than 30% in 2024, 30%. Despite concerns over the Federal Reserve's rate reduction plans and the uncertainty of when these plans will be executed, the strong performances by mega cap companies have overshadowed investor worries. The 10-year and two-year treasury yields have risen, reflecting central bank officials' reluctance to cut rates soon. However, 2024 is unfolding differently for other members of the S&P 500. The Equal Weight S&P 500 Index and the Russell 2000 Index, an index made up of small-cap companies, have not performed as well, indicating a divergence in market performance based on company size and financial health. 
U.S. monthly consumer prices in December rose by 0.2% less than the previously estimated 0.3%. Sorry, they rose by 0.2%, which is less than the previously estimated 0.3%. Despite the revision, underlying inflation indicators suggest persistent inflationary pressures. U.S. employers are experiencing historically low layoff rates, with December seeing only 1% of U.S. employment laid off, the lowest in in the two decades before the pandemic. That's a brief highlight. There's a lot more commentary details in the newsletter. In the stock ideas section, we highlighted a leading provider of modeling and simulation software for pharmaceutical and biotechnology companies. It has shown promising growth potential in the life sciences industry with its robust portfolio of products and services. The company currently has a strong position in the market and strategically acquisitions and expansions. And strategic acquisitions and expansions, along with its innovative software products, position it well for future growth. Now, we also looked at a company known for its casual footwear. It's experienced significant growth driven by strong demand for its comfortable and stylish products. The company's innovative designs, expanding product lines, and effective marketing strategies have propelled its sales and its profitability. It's a fundamentally strong company with a solid position in the footwear industry. If management can continue to capitalize on industry trends and improve earnings and revenues from early 2024 expectations, this company has potential for further growth. Now, we name these in the newsletter, so subscribe anytime at investtalk.com. Now, let's keep moving forward and pivot back to the InvestTalk voice bank for a question that came in earlier to 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Dan from Walnut Creek. I've got a question for the show. I'm calling about Comcast, DMCSA. It seems to be going down quite a bit lately. When I look at the statistics, a lot of the numbers look pretty good, except for possibly their outstanding uh, debt. It's pretty high. So at least according to to me, you guys might have a better measurement of what it should be. So if you can give me some input on CMCSA, I'd appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. Well, Comcast Corp., which engages in the provision of video and internet services, is one of the largest internet and cable providers in the country. And their drop-off is certainly not isolated within the industry. You see it as well in charter communications as well, um, had, uh, let's say, disappointing earnings over the past couple days. And what it really was driven by, Comcast and with, with Charter, but specifically Comcast, is they're losing customers. And they lost customers in Q4. They lost some internet's customers to companies that have been laying down fiber and they lost some cable customers to come to streaming companies. And both of those industries, both of those subsectors are going to be more and more complex and have more and more competition going forward. So at these current prices, I wouldn't hold on to it. I wouldn't buy any more. It's trading about where it's fairly valued. It's it may even be a little bit undervalued on a price to earnings basis, but especially over the next year, you know, Disney and and uh, and Fox and and Hulu announced uh, a sports package, if you will, for their subscribers. The landscape within this within this industry, with all the competition, could continue to hurt Comcast's revenue. So I wouldn't I wouldn't touch it right here. Thanks for the call. And when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. 
Tyler from Kansas City asked, Hey guys, Charter is currently about 1.4% of my portfolio. I bought just under a year ago, around $320, and it ran up to $450, and now it's just under $300 again. The debt they carry is terrible, but I'm pretty sure with their earnings growth that they have forecasted, they will be able to work towards paying it off. They don't have a dividend, but they buy back very large percentages of their shares. I prefer this over dividends. Let me know what you think of it, and if you think the debt's out of control. I hope Steve has a speedy recovery. A big thank you to Justin and Luke filling in full-time in his absence. Thank you for the kind words, and certainly I'll pass those along to Steve as well. Now, Charter is a similar story to Comcast. They have an exorbitant amount of debt. Let's take a look at their exact level of debt here. $98 billion on a $41 billion market cap company. That's a lot of debt, and a lot of it is pushed off beyond 2030. But the thing that really scares me about this is its interest rate coverage ratio. Interest rate coverage being the earnings before interest and taxes divided by your interest expense. How many times over can you cover your interest with your after depreciation and amortization income? And that's about two. And it's been decreasing over the past five years. So yeah, over the past five years, they had some revenue growth, although earnings per share is down from 2022. It was up pretty significantly from 2021 and from 2020 during the pandemic, but it's down. And similar to Comcast, they lost a lot of customers. For me, these two companies have way too much leverage and way too much debt and an uncertain business climate for that industry. So I would... Get rid of that on a bounce. Thanks for the call. Thanks for the review. Now, our next talking point, and maybe our last, if we don't have enough time to go through the others, is about the confusingly strong economy. And the reasons behind why it's had some strength and what those possible reasons can do to help you with your portfolio. Now, it's not just about why it's been historically strong, despite rate cuts, but also about how that should inform you as an investor moving forward. And there are three plausible explanations. One is the productivity story. Maybe, as evidenced by recent graduates, having been in more demand in the economy as it runs hot and unemployment stays near record lows, or maybe it's corporate investment, which has rebounded much faster than it did after the 08-09 recession, and it's now 10% higher than its pre-pandemic peak, even when adjusted for inflation. Maybe it's artificial intelligence, should that manifest itself, would push investment and productivity even higher. But is that what happened? Or is it just a side effect of supply chains evening out after the pressure the past two years? Or is it not a productivity story? Is it that the government just can't stop spending, which we all know to be true? We have a record peacetime deficits, which increased by 6.2% of GDP last year, and it can't really sustain itself. Either the government needs to rein in its spending, removing support, which would most likely slow growth, or it won't, and higher borrowing costs will keep pushing up bond yields, but both are probably not good outcomes. Or is it because the monetary lag is longer than we thought? 
Is it that the economy hasn't fully been affected by the rate hikes? Maybe. American non-financial companies are estimated by the Bureau of Economic Analysis to be paying about 40% less in interest, net of interest on savings, than they were before the Fed rose rates. Why? Because big companies like homeowners have locked in record amounts of debt at record low rates. They've pushed it out years. So instead of the Fed's tightening hurting their income, major corporations and even people with mortgages are fine. Maybe it's that delayed effect. For now, it's difficult to say, but it's important to think of all of these because what could potentially be on the horizon if it's productivity? It could continue. If it's government spending, it has to change. If it's a monetary lag, you need to be aware of it. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Luke Guerrero, standing in for Justin Klein. And we have one goal here to help you achieve financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. Now, get your questions in now 888 99 Chart. Everybody wants a secure financial future. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. Invest Talk, 888 chart Let's go to Ed in Menlo Park, who has a question about ARM Holdings. You own it or are you looking to buy it? Looking to buy it. Okay. Well, for those who don't know, ARM Holdings is in the semiconductor space. And it has had quite the run-up recently, as have a lot of semiconductor companies. So looking at this, the first thing that strikes me is, although it has no debt, which is fantastic, it's had quite the run-up to the point where it's trading at a 78 times price to earnings. And there are not many things I would buy at 78 times price to earnings. It's five-year average is around 56. Even that's a little too high. It would have to come down quite a bit for me to recommend that you that you pull the trigger and you buy it. It's uh, it's pretty expensive right now. Thanks for the call. Thanks. Now, our last talking point today is about a company that is certainly integral to mine and my girlfriend's life as there's always just new packages coming to the front door, and that is Amazon. Now, for those of you who don't know, Amazon is involved in a big lawsuit. And according to the complaint that was filed Thursday in federal court in Seattle, their algorithm for choosing what to display in its buy box when shoppers search for products often obscures lower-priced options. They allegedly created the algorithm to benefit third-party sellers and participate in its Fulfillment by Amazon program in which those sellers pay hefty fees to Amazon. The complaint was filed in California by several residents, and it seeks damages for Amazon's alleged violations since 2016 of a Washington state law against deceptive trade practices, which resulted in a great burden placed upon its customers. So the reason why this is an interesting story, and it's a lawsuit that I think we've touched on before, is because this administration, the Biden administration, has been particularly tough in going after what I like to call the complex monopolies. Back in the day when you had Standard Oil or U.S. Steel or any of these companies that consolidated market power, it was pretty easy to see what they were doing. And that's because a lot of them 
indiscriminately controlled prices and charged higher fees for the products and services they were providing. But that's not really what's happening with Amazon generally. A lot of these tech companies that some would consider monopolies, myself included, are monopolistic in a couple ways. One is driving out that competition like Amazon is accused of doing, should they have actually done it. But it's a lot harder to make the argument to break up some of these quote-unquote monopolies because there isn't that large harm to customers that a lot of these monopolies back in the day had. Sure, it's possible that Amazon is harming customers in a way that this lawsuit says, but generally the price of shipping and the price of purchasing goods has gone down. So what this shows to me is that we, and by we I mean regulators, I'm certainly not a regulator, but regulators have to be more creative in how they approach these new wave tech monopolies. It's not just Amazon. It's companies like Google. Google has incredible power, not just in being a search engine that everybody uses. I mean, the word, people say Google it. But in that, it has the ability to see who its competition is based on searches. If Google's creating a product, Google can monitor the search of things related to that product. They can buy companies before they become threats. And this is the thing about the new wave of monopoly power. It's not as easy to see. It's not as easy to see the harm. It's not as easy to see the consolidation. It's not just buying all the steel companies. It's not just buying all the oil companies. It's more than that. It's exerting their power in a way that is difficult for anybody, regulators included, to see or stop. So certainly... We will have our eyes on this lawsuit. It could be pretty big for what the FTC has been trying to do in controlling these new wave monopolies. Now, I'm Luke Guerrero, and this completes another Invest Talk program. Justin, Steve, and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. Get yours anytime at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Remember to follow us on social media. Or come over to investtalk.com to learn a little bit more. Independent thinking, shared success. This is InvestTalk. Enjoy your weekend. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.